This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go guys what's up we're in uh idaho hanging out with the homie clay hayes season eight alone winner that's what probably most people introduce you as but i'm introduced you as a badass real bow hunter so that's like self bows stick bows like trad life like real bow hunting and a family man and a guy who uh gets after it so welcome to the podcast man appreciate it appreciate the opportunity thanks for letting us invade your space i like in-person podcasts way more dog what's your dog's name that's lily lily i grew up with boxers yeah yeah they're good dogs yeah she's pretty smart how old is she i think she's nine she's getting up there yeah yeah, they're good, Rick. Getting a little gray face. Yeah, they're always excited. So, man, like, you won alone. I did, yep. So you should be retired, right? Like, <laughs> That's what, it's amazing how many comments I've got like that. Oh, man, you're set now. I just want to know, how much does the government take out? They take a, a third of it. Yeah, so the government was stoked that you won. Oh, yeah, yep. 
So there's that. And then you clear that, or, you know, and then you're in a different category you probably weren't in. So there's just certain limitations. So more money, more problems. Uh, but I really like your story. Like uh, wildlife biologist mm-hmm. by trade for Idaho Fishing Game, working on Habitat. We'll get into that. Decided to take the leap and try doing like this digital era thing where like you do YouTube and quit your stability every two weeks paycheck yep. to go do what you really wanted to do. Man, are you crazy? I quite possibly yes. Yeah, it was uh, it was a it wasn't a hard decision for me, but it was a it, it it definitely like when I went in to give my notice, my heart was pounding. I mean, it was in my throat, but it was like, man, once I did that and I walked out of that office after giving my two weeks note or yeah after giving my notice, it was like I was free. It's like that is a feeling that uh is indescribable really Mm. like i can do whatever i want to (laughs) you didn't grow up in idaho no no i grew up in northwest florida um grew up on a a a ranch my dad's a cutting horse trainer so i grew up riding horses dealing with cows we raised bison when i was a kid Uh, my my parents sold uh, bison meat so grew up on that stuff and grew up at a time when Northwest Florida, at least our part, was a very rural area. It's been kind of co-opted into Pensacola now. It's a big, there's houses and people everywhere now. But when I was a kid, it was all pine forest, bobwhite quail, cottontails, and uh, just big open country. And I had lots of lots of land I could roam around on and spend time in the, in the swamps and be a feral kid. Feral kids where it's at. Absolutely. There's not enough of them anymore. It's a dying breed. Yeah. Which is scary. Well, we uh we give ours free reign, so they're they're pretty doggone feral. We have to make them take a shower. They they come in the house and their feet are black and all you know, it's like, dude, you gotta you gotta get in the shower before you get in bed. That's that's fair. <laughs> uh how old were you when you finally came out and visited out west? First time I ever went west was I was probably 13, 14, something like that. Um, and I can't remember if it was Pueblo, Colorado, or Gillette, Wyoming, but we went out for the high school rodeo finals, the national high school rodeo finals. I, I, um, I made finals in uh, the cutting, uh, which if you're not familiar with cutting, you just have to Google it. Um, it's a judged event. It's not like, you know, uh, roping or riding bulls or anything any of the other rodeo events that you'd normally be yep uh went out for the the high school rodeo finals and fell in love with it knew that this is where i needed to be and so um went to uh, went to college for natural resources wildlife sciences ended up getting a master's from mississippi state and then once i graduated with that we uh liz and i loaded up everything we owned which all fit in the back of a half ton pickup and we drove to Idaho. Idaho, of all places. Yep. Did you have a job lined out, or you just drove to Idaho? We had, I first came out um, f- to Idaho for a temporary job, temporary technician. So we came out, had a six-month job, worked the summer, went back to Florida for that winter, and then came back out the next year, and then got hired on as a, a permanent technician, which then I got 
uh, took a promotion into a wildlife biologist, and that was in 2009 or 10. I can't remember. Mm. It must have been 10 because that's when we moved up here. We were in southeast Idaho around Idaho Falls, um, but then moved up here near Lewiston uh, in 2010, I think. You met Liz in college. You guys grow high school sweethearts. How did you guys meet? Yeah, we uh, we w- we started dating in high school. So we've been together since we were 17. Dang. Yeah, she grew up, um, you know, I don't know, 10 miles down the road. Yep. That's cool. You guys got two boys? Yeah, Koi and Finn, 10 and 13. Finn is, uh, he's he running around here somewhere. He, I'm sure you get to see him. Um Koi's still sleeping, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Finn's the hunter. Uh Koi doesn't really care about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh he doesn't he doesn't really care to get out there. He likes to hike and backpack and stuff like that, likes to fish, but doesn't really care about the hunting. Uh Finn actually does like his when I have him on a bow hunting video, like they do way better than mine. He's got yeah. a he did a uh we went down to South Florida. Uh, this past year and uh, got to hunt with my buddy Scott Crippen down there. And it, Finn ended up shooting two pigs with his little bow right there with the, the red and white fletchings on it, little sinew back dosage bow and smacked two pigs with it. And he shot one right out from underneath me. I was, I was sitting there waiting for this pig. He, Finn's sitting on the ground and I'm standing up and there's palm, you know, palm fronds everywhere. I'm waiting for this pig to clear a palm frond and all of a sudden, I hear swack, <laughs> and he shot this pig before I ever got a shot. I was like, "You little turd!" Love it. <laughs> Good job, Finn. No, that's cool. It's a wildlife biology master's degree. We were kind of joking earlier, but like, there's a lot of newer hunters coming to the scene. Adult onset, maybe from COVID, maybe it's just because we have a lot of human beings and urban sprawl. I don't care why, but your phone probably rang a lot with the same dumbasses asking the same dumbass questions. Where should I go hunting? You're the biologist, oh, yeah, right? Dude. So uh, at, uh, when I was working for fish and game, there's, um, all of the biologists have to rotate through the front office. Like one day a month, you, you got to spend in the front office answering phones, answering people's questions and stuff like that. You know, in August, you start if if that's you get it you get your days in August September then you start getting those calls and you'll get you'll you'll get fifty calls a day and and it's the same call fifty times a day you know sometimes you'll get a guy that calls and he's done his research and he's saying you know I'm interested in going into this drainage or th- like what's the elk population doing in this unit he's got specific questions you know that that guy you can help like you can answer that guy's questions like okay you know. You know, if I've ever been in, if he's asking about a specific drainage, if I've ever been in there, I'll say, yeah, you know, th- you can expect this type of stuff or whatever, or you can answer questions about elk population trends and things like that. Um, but the guy that calls and say, Hey, going to, I'm thinking about going to Idaho, just looking for a place to go. It's like, I can't help that guy because I get that call 50 times a day and I don't have a thousand different places that I can send people. You know, I can make general recommendations like, okay, what type of hunt do you want to do? Like, are you, are you wanting to do a 10 day back country backpacking trip? Are you looking to car camp? Are you like, what's your physical abilities? How much effort do you want to put into it? That type of stuff. And I can kind of give them some 
general ideas, but I can't like, I can't tell them to go, you know, I can't give them a GPS location. <laughs> no, you cannot. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, so guys listening, if that is you, biologist, and there's difference, like in Idaho, you guys had like habitat biologists like yourself, but then you had like populations biologists too, right? That do the aerial surveys yep. and the studies and the objectives and calf counts and collaring animals. And, you know, there's some good questions to ask, like once you've done your prerequisite homework, yep. um, really start picking the brains of the biologists once you know kind of the lay of the land. Hey, is this road open? I was thinking about hitting this trailhead, and here was my strategy. Yep. It's going to bugle here, camp here. Have you seen any elk feed on this feature? What is, like, the fringe food? Like, get into the, the – ask them the biology questions. I'm sure you guys have tons of information. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you just got to do your research. And there's a lot of information in the, the elk management plans, too. I mean, all of the units are broken down in there. They all have cow-calf, bull ratios, um, and then there's tons of harvest statistics on the uh on the internet so there's lots of information out there to be had yeah did you ever get involved in the surveying uh or the aerials or i did i've done some aerial surveys i didn't like doing it because it's incredibly dangerous i mean you're it's high risk flying because you're flying very very low oftentimes you're flying you know in in trees basically um and it's the number one killer of wildlife biologists, so it's not something I wanted to be doing. But yeah. I mean, it's, I did it when I was younger. It's fun. It's really fun to do. You know, when you're out on winter range and there's 3,000 elk in a herd and you're breaking them apart and counting groups of them and pushing, you know, it's it's fun. But it's also very dangerous. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. The Panhandle, northern Idaho, doesn't have an objective for elk, which has always been kind of like... I've never understood why, other than that maybe it's just impossible for them to know their numbers because of the way that it's the land features, the topography, the timber. Um, did you ever get hear the reasons why? No, I I don't have any idea. Um, I worked in the Clearwater region, and it's it might it may have something to do with the how they do their surveys or how the. Um, how the topography and the cover affects their ability to do surveys. I don't really know. Like when I was doing the surveys, I was in Southern Idaho where where their winter range is wide open. I mean, it's sagebrush and maybe some juniper. What area specifically in Southeast Idaho were you? I was, uh, so I was the senior tech at Tex Creek Wildlife Management Area, which is a big winter range a little southeast of Idaho Falls. Yep. And there's, there was, at least when I was there, I don't know what the populations are now, <clears throat> but when I was there, they were gobs and gobs of elk. And I mean, it's, it's a cool area. Mm, yeah. There's a, that area got hit pretty hard with snow this year and south of there in Utah mm-hmm. and Wyoming, that whole little like triangle in there. I'm wondering how those elk numbers are doing. I kind of pay attention to yeah. the snow packs. It's, we'll see. Uh, how long have you been elk hunting, man? First season was probably 2008 or nine. I can't remember exactly, but um, it took me a long time to kill an elk with a bow. I killed a few with, a, with my flintlock there those first couple of years, but uh, I don't think I killed an elk for like with a bow for maybe six or seven seasons. Yeah. And I mean, I made some, like if I, 
it, I had some great opportunities. Oh. Like if I knew what I know now and yeah. could go back then and have some of those same opportunities, I could have killed elk every year. But they were just, I mean, I grew up in the Southeast hunting whitetails and our whitetails, I mean, I'm, I'm talking Florida whitetails. So like a, a mature doe might be 80 pounds, you know, mature buck. The first deer I ever shot was a five and a half year old, uh, four by fours. We called him an eight point down there. And he dressed out at 98 pounds. So I grew up hunting these things. I mean, they're like dogs. And then to come out West and to be close to an animal that's five, six, maybe 700 pounds. That's like a freaking horse, man. And it, they were just intimidating. Um, and I was hunting them like whitetails, like being super like, it, um, you know, if a whitetail, a whitetail might, um, catch a glimpse of you and you might not spook it off, but if they are even the least bit curious about something about you, like they're never going to let you get drawn on them. You're never going to be able to draw on that deer. And I was the same. I was just too timid about them. I wasn't aggressive enough with the elk. I didn't know what I could get away with. And now I think I've pretty well got it figured out. Like, I mean, you can be pretty damn aggressive with elk. Like I, I walk through the woods just intentionally breaking stuff. Um, and a lot of times you can walk right up on them. Yeah. It's a huge, huge feature at the camps we do is like, you're not white hunting. No. And it's the, a lot of these guys from the Midwest and the East are coming out West and it's a different mindset. Uh, there is no sneaking. And if you're sneaking, you're a predator. If you're a yep. predator, they're not going to have tolerance, but if you're loud and obnoxious, you're going to have a chance. And then the amount of crap you can get away with, especially if like a cow or an elk of just any type of bull is maybe picked you off and you just happen to vocalize a little with a cow call or something while you're drawing your bow back and they watch you draw your bow back. It's incredible. You would never get away with that with a white tail. No, right. Uh, I I definitely think people err on the side of passive passivity versus being aggressive with elk. And that's why the learning curves are long. Mine was two. Mine was uh, five minutes in Washington killed with a rifle. Wanted to get a bow. Yeah. Because they bugle, right? So got a bow in 2002. And I went to Idaho from 2002. And it wasn't until 2009 that I killed my first Idaho bull with a bow. Now, I had some success in New Mexico. I put an asterisk next to that because it's not North Idaho. It's it's It wasn't where at my home elk turf. I killed a couple bulls in Montana. But, man, I'm telling you right now, like, 2002 to 2009 was that's seven years of pounding the brush, not killing a bull. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because of opportunity, it's because I knew how to make every mistake. Yep. And I wouldn't trade, honestly, I wouldn't trade those years for anything. It's made me the hunter I am today. Yeah. 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 I put in a lot of miles, uh, a lot of sore feet, and had some amazing experiences. Yeah. I mean, some of the, some of the best experiences I had elk hunting happened during that time. I never got to draw my bow, but I, I mean, like one, uh, one experience that I constantly remember is I was probably had been elk hunting for maybe three years and had, I was up on a ridge and had seen a cow or a, a bull and maybe five or six cows in this valley below me. It was late in the evening. So the next morning I got up on there, they were back in there. I just caught the tail end of the last cow going up into the timber. Yep. So I hustled down there, got on their trail and tracked them. 
uh, they had gone through a creek and they'd splash mud all over the thing. So I tracked them for like four hours until like, I don't know, 11 o'clock and, uh, figured they were bedded somewhere. So I just kind of chilled, pulled out my, uh, lunch out of my pack and started eating lunch. And from not far, 70 yards away, maybe just over a knoll, I hear a bugle. I mean, they were right there. I didn't know it, but I crept up to this thing. And I could see this bull. He was a nice bull, uh, but he was running his cows around, you know, doing all of the the herd behavior, stretching his neck out and checking cows and this and that. And I had a cow come up the ridge and come walking straight to me and dang near step on me. I mean, she stopped and was looking down at me. And I'm, I'm kind of like hunkered down with my bow. And she caught me off guard. She came over my right shoulder and I was like facing this way. So I couldn't have... I couldn't turn to shoot, so I had to just sit there. And she eventually, she looked at me for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds like that and spooked and wheeled and ran off but didn't bark. And when she did that, the bull come charging up the hill, and he stopped just on the other side of a little fir tree that was eight yards away, bugling. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when an when a animal that big bugles that close to you it's like you it vibrates your Your chest yep and that was like one of the really one of the first really close encounters i had with a big bull and i i'll remember that till the day i die you will yep i got several of those types of stories and it's it does something to you well i'm obsessed with elk hunting it's my north star man yep um i mean i love hunting but no elk is what would keep our eyes on the prize i love it and i hate it it it's tough and it's getting harder we kind of talked about this off camera a little bit but like you know we're gonna get into the youtube thing a little bit um i love youtube i hate youtube just like elk hunting i love elk hunting i hate elk hunting uh but i like things that are hard i'm drawn to things that are challenging that's elk hunting for sure there's a ton of physicality and more mentality in my opinion elk hunting uh, you just got to be kind of tough or really lucky but if you're tough and a little lucky man Sky's the limit. Now, same with YouTube. You've been doing YouTube for how long? Think I think I put my first video up in two thousand eight or nine. You yeah, somewhere right in there. You hadn't given notice yet. Hmm? You hadn't given two weeks notice yet. You're oh no 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 this, that was way before. You got a real job. Yeah yeah. And you're like, I like making bows. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a video up of me making my bow. Yep. Yeah, that I I started making YouTube videos um, just on bow making. Um, not didn't have any inclination that you could make money doing it. I just enjoyed the creative process of it, the process of it. And uh, I like making bows and I like teaching people how to make bows. And so that was a perfect platform for doing that. So fast forward, I think you said it best earlier, but like at some point it caught on. Like yeah, people were noticing you're growing a platform, you're growing a community. Yeah. I, so I, I started with the bow building video, started doing some bow hunting type stuff, did a film, like my first, what I call a film, uh, premiered at the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous in Denver. That was in 2013. And that's when it really kind of started picking up a little bit. I started doing an educational series with BHA called Backcountry College, just random outdoor stuff, how to build a fire in the rain, how to tie knots how to lift a bag, you know, for a bear hang, that type of stuff. Um, And I started making a little bit of money at it. Um, And then by the time 2017 came along, almost 10 years after I started, um, 
I got to the point where I was making fair, a fair bit of money, but I was only spending maybe 5% of my time. The YouTube thing is what I really wanted to be doing. And so I, I, I knew that I could make it. Like if I invested all my time in it and really gave it a go, I knew that I could make it. But, you know, making that decision to do that, it made Liz super nervous because it meant like to take that leap meant that we had no insurance. We had no steady paycheck coming in. It gave up all of our security. Like we had no, nothing to fall back on really. And, um, but I knew that even if the YouTube thing didn't work out, like I could make a living doing something. I can build barns. I could do something to make, I'm like, we're not going to lose the house, you know? And so in, uh, in the fall of 2017, I walked in to my supervisor office, gave my two weeks notice, and then walked out. Like I said earlier, I walked out of that office and I was free. And it was, you know, my heart was in my throat when I went in there to give my notice, but it's like joy (laughs) when you, when you finally do it and you walk out and you're like, holy cow, man, I, I can do whatever I want. I am totally free. Mm, that's powerful. And there's a lot of people that envy that or at least look up to that or would potentially even be willing to to hear this and, and go for it themselves. So do you have words of advice? What have you learned along this journey? I don't think you went to business school. No. And there's some business involved. By be, I'm going to call you an influencer because that's kind of what you are. And I hate that word. Despise it. But what best practices? What have you learned, man, from the business side of things? Well, when you, when you go out on your own like this, like there's no, the, the biggest challenge is that there's no like pre-worn in career path. It's like, you don't know, like everybody that does this does it differently. And so you, you can't like look at this guy and say, okay, I'm going to do it this way. Or if I, if I work like at this job, I'm going to get this promotion, then I can do this. And this leads to this. Like, no, there's none of that. There's none of that. And it's like, I describe, like I've tried so many different things that just don't go anywhere. Um, and I, I describe it as like, have you ever been in a, you ever been in a deep cave where you like, you can't see your face. Like there's some lava tubes in South Idaho where you can get back in there and you can't, there is no light. And it's like being in that you have no concept of where to go and you're like feeling your way around this dark cave looking for an opening and you might feel like a little recess and you you might explore that and it may go somewhere and it may not but you got to check it out and eventually you know you can kind of find a direction that works for you and that's what I've done like I've I mean like I said I've tried all all kinds of stuff that doesn't work and you got to figure out what works for you and what you're comfortable doing um and what allows you to be genuine. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no, there's no like career path that goes along with this. <clears throat> but as far as like taking the leap and doing it, um, you, you're never going to be ready. I don't think to do that. Like you're never going to be, at least I wasn't, uh, I just knew that I could do it. Um, and it really, took some convincing for Liz cause she was super nervous about it. Um, but eventually, you know, she figured that it was actually working and, and got behind it a hundred percent. And she does all the business stuff. Now she does all the, she takes care of all the stuff that I don't like doing. 
Yeah, my wife does the same thing. I uh, she was a nurse for forever, and then um, honestly, the main reason she stopped being a nurse was like I noticed like the day she'd go to the hospital. We have two little ones, a six and eight year old. They're not little anymore, but um, man, like it kind of put a put a dent in my ability to do elk shape all day because it just I got to get them ready for school. I got to take them to school. I got to make their lunches. It doesn't sound hard, but and then also just keep track of things. And then she didn't get home till late. They a lot of nurses work twelve hour shifts, so I'm taking the kids, getting them home from school, making them dinner. I'm just not doing elk shape basically. And it just came to a point where I was like. You hate going, like, she worked on a shitty floor at the hospital. It was mm-hmm. neuro. So it was, like, spinal surgeries or, like, major head trauma. And it's always men. They get head trauma. And we as men turn into cavemen when we have major head trauma. Like, so just, I'm going to leave it at that. But just horrible stories of just guys that I would, like, literally, I would not allow them to do whatever they did. But And, you know, she loved her coworkers and stuff. But it's like, it came to a point I was like, I don't like you working. You don't like working. And you could help me with the business stuff, which is code for you can deal with all the business stuff and I can just make content. Yep. And she's like, done. And she just told me the other day, she's like, hey, it's it's coming up on a year. Like, uh, if I'm going to be a nurse, I got to keep my license. I got to like start working again. And I was like, well, do you want to do nursing? She's like, no. And I was like, sweet, done deal. Like, you're not a nurse anymore. Like, let your license expire. Same story with us. Liz was, um, she was in uh, x-ray. So she did that. And um, same, same exact, exact story. It's cool to work with your spouse or whatever. And honestly, my wife does not even hardly work with me. She's always doing what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. You know what she wants to do? Gardening. Yep. Um, a home and garden TV projects on our house. Like that's where all my money goes, man. To like, I was told, I just literally said this to Tyler, the camera guy over here, my buddy. I was like, Alicia will need the truck today because she will be going to the hardware store because she goes to the hardware store every day. But she's happy. I'm happy. And that's cool that you guys are doing that. Let's talk about the catalyst um, because I don't want people to just give alone all the credit for your success. Um, prior to alone, when I met you, you weren't at 100K subs, but you were getting close. Because uh, Joel, I met you, Joel, and my buddy Cote, and they're like, oh, man, you should check out his YouTube channel. He's got a YouTube. I did. And it was like, at the time, I was probably like at 20K subs. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy's like getting inches way to 100. I'll got to check this dude out. And um, I asked you when I got here, where are you at, subs? And you're like, 320K. That's a huge, There's that's a, that's a game changer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and not the monetary, like the monetization and, and ads. People think you make so much money off that, whatever, but it's really pennies on the dollar if you're going to run that program. It's the things that surround the platform, right? Yeah. Um, your cadence is one video a week? Yeah. That's so much work to me. That's yeah, but it's, it's stuff that I like doing and that, that I would be doing anyway, you know? So it's not, you know, I don't, I have a pretty good job. You self-film most of this? <laughs> most of it, yeah. My oldest boy uh, does some filming for me. Um, I'm trying to get him interested in, in the cameras and that, that, that would be cool. Uh, and then Finn, my youngest boy, he's riding his bicycle around here. He'll go like actually, you know, hunting and doing the stuff like that, but he doesn't do any of the camera work or anything like that. Yeah. So I'd say not, yeah, 90, 
95% of the filming that I do, I do myself, though. You edit yourself. Yep. yep. And you told me this funny story where I'm like, because, dude, you're hard to get a hold of. Like, cell phone service, I just turned my phone off. I can't get no service where you live. But, like, I was telling Tyler, I was like, yeah, I got to coordinate when I talk to Clay. Like, he's got to go to a special spot, stand on one leg to talk on a phone. So you don't have cell service. So I'm like, how the hell are you uploading videos? What were you doing living out in the boondocks uploading? I think that's hilarious. Yeah, so... Um, I think we've had like actual internet for maybe two years. Uh, so pre previous to that, we ran our whole business off our cell phones, but cell phone service sucks here. And so to upload a video, what I'd have to do is I'd have to take like a hundred yards of extension cord and run it up the hill till I could see a cell tower, set up a tent. I'm pretty sure it's more than a hundred yards. <laughs> that's, that's a hill. Put my uh, put my laptop couldn't you know connect the the personal hotspot to my laptop in the tent and let it run overnight. It would still take you know eighteen hours to upload a video. Oh my God, <laughs> how happy were you when you finally got internet? It's pretty cool to be able to sit in the bedroom and like have internet and upload a video without having to freaking go set up a tent and a, a hotspot up on the hill. I tip my that's commitment right there. What about filming cameras and stuff? Like, do you know stuff about cameras or are you pretty raw? Have you learned over the years? Um, I know enough to do what I do. Uh, I, I, I filmed with uh, Canon DSLR for a long time, and just this last year just switched to the Sonys. You did? Yeah. You switch. Oh, man, it's, uh, and they're nice. Like everything about, I like everything about them. What Sonys did you end up rolling with? The A7S, maybe? Yep. Is that it? Is that yep. right? Yeah. I remember switching from Canon to Sony quite a few years ago, and there was a learning curve, man, for sure. But now you hand me a Canon DSLR, foreign language. Yeah. I don't even know how to um, – Sony's are rad, except for the, the overheat. Uh, yeah, so speaking of – like I was kind of asking you if you knew much about filming, but I'll be honest with you, as a fan of the, the show alone, before you were ever on there, I've always loved that show. It's something my wife and I always watch, and it's just unique. It's a cool, it's self-filmed by the contestants. Mm -hmm. And I did watch your season, and you got a lot of airtime. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, Clay's YouTube days have really catapulted him. He is on the show more than the other contestants because he's doing a freaking awesome, rad job at filming his experience. Yeah. That's what stood out to me. Yeah, and that's one of the things like, uh, you know, you can watch the show and some people just don't have much airtime, even though they were doing stuff because they just like the filming just didn't jive with them. You know, and some people enjoy the process. Some people, it's just a burden on them. Uh, for me, I like filming to get a good shot on film to me is like I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think the filming prior to being on the show really helped me anyway yeah you killed it so you won season eight mm -hmm. you were in the bush for 74 days plus all the nonsense leading up to it the training the lockdown it was during covid yeah and maybe we'll have to give more context to the show for those that don't know but um i don't feel like it's a spoiler alert now because they're on what season this will be 10 coming up yeah maybe? 10's coming up 11? so i don't remember can you describe the feeling when they surprised you with your wife, assuming that's real? So they, that's the only thing, like every other season, um, the s spouse has got to come out there. 
we did ours right in the middle of COVID. They wouldn't let her come. They wouldn't let Liz come up there. Man. Um, and so they had to, they told me themselves. Um, but I, I don't know, man. You can look at the, you can watch those final scenes in that season and see the emotion that's coming, you know, across. I'm not an, I'm not usually a very emotional person, but that was very emotional for me. Um, and there's a, there, if you watch closely, if you watch my facial expression, when they first kind of broke the news, I was like, I couldn't, I didn't really understand what they were saying because for so long, like I, the, if you allow yourself to start hoping that the next time you see them, you're going to go home with them, like it's going to be over. If they come out and you, and it's not over, that can be crushing. And so I, I was guarding myself against that because they come out for these, they come out for med checks periodically, if you're not familiar with the show. Like how, how often? It depends on, for us anyway, it depended on the time of season, the, the, the duration or uh, the time during the time that we were out there. That doesn't really make sense. But when we were there early, the, the, the um, intervals were fairly long. Yeah, like so you like they drop you off like I'm gonna just guess, but it looks like sep end of September, October ish. Yeah, so they dropped us off September 18th, and I think the longest I ever went without seeing anybody, if I remember correctly, was about three weeks. But as the Damn. season, it's pretty long. <laughs> as the season goes farther, they start coming more often because people's body condition starts to deteriorate, and so they, the the doctor just has to keep closer tabs on you. And so towards the end of it, they were coming every seven days or so. And so there at the end, if you, you know, if it's getting, it's getting on up there, you know, it's getting 65, 70 days and they, they say, okay, we're coming for a med check. And it's during those times when they're, they're, they're going to tell you that you're the last one. So you say, oh man, like, this is it. Like they're coming to tell me I won. And if they come and do the med check, all that stuff, and then they leave, it's like, can you imagine, you know, the, 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 that would be crushing for you. No, I couldn't imagine. And so, it's tough, man. And so I, I guarded myself against that. Like I, I totally took that whole scenario out of my mind. Like it's, this is not possible that they're coming to tell me that I, that I am the last one. And so it was, that was not a part of my like being. And so when they told me that, when they broke the news, it was like, I was like, legitimately confused as to what they were trying to tell me. And it wasn't until they said, you're the last one that it sunk in. I was like, holy, sh holy crap. I, I did it. Like I'm going home. And that was my first thought. It wasn't about the money. No, it was definitely it was like, go I'm going home. Family. Yeah. I'm going home to see my family. Yeah. Incredible. So you just kind of answered a question that I was totally convinced otherwise but I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna just break it down for you. How what cameras are on your persons as a contestant? So they give you a Canon um, camcorder. Yeah, it's okay. one of the bigger like prosumer type camcorders. So you got that. You got a small little JVC. You got maybe th three, two or three GoPros. 
Um, and a bunch of batteries. Yeah, like a shitload of batteries, right? Ton, ton of batteries. Cause they and, and media cards. Like I mean, yeah. they give you limitless, right? Because really, yeah. I was convinced, Tyler. I might have told you this, but I was convinced from an editorial standpoint. You can't get all this footage after 74 days from mm-hmm. how many contestants? 10. 10 contestants. You there's not enough time to sort through all this. So I figured they had to be doing not only med checks but camera yep. like here's your camera, here's your car, here's your fresh batteries. Oh, and what timestamps or like what highlights did you film so that we can start editing? Is that true or not? Absolutely, you're spot on. So when they come out to do the med checks, they also they give you fresh batteries and they give you fresh media cards and they take all of your dead batteries and media cards and you know, presumably behind the scenes, they, they have someone that's dedicated to each cont- each participant that goes through all their footage. Wow. And I said at one point, I was like, man, whoever has to watch all this crap, I'm going to have to buy you a beer because they're <laughs> literally, I probably gave them 800 hours yep. of footage. Yep. I mean, because there's a lot of times they drill into your head before you go out there. It's like, you just, just film everything. Just keep the camera rolling, which is great advice because if you for those of you who've seen this season, like they said it was day number one, but it was actually day two or three. I'm just sitting around a campfire and a mountain lion comes up behind me. It's like 10 yards. And I was sitting by my campfire, not doing anything. Like I was just sitting there and the camera was rolling. And if the camera wasn't rolling, I never would have got that moment on film. That was was one of the most awesome moments of of my time there and probably of the entire run of the show. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, so let's talk about the hunting regulations. Like, you were in BC. Yeah. BC loves their bears, their yep. grizzly bears. They're protected in Alberta. And I've, my last podcast was literally about how grumpy I am about that. But, um, like, there's some years, seasons where it seems like it's like free reign, kill whatever you want that you need. Um, what was their limitations on yours? Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they, have the regulations and you, you got to follow that stuff. So we had, um, on our season, we, so at my side, I had moose and had, uh, grizzlies and then, um, you know, of course, mountain lions and blacktail deer. The only thing, so moose were off limits. Of course, grizzlies were off limits. Uh, the only big game that we could hunt were, were deer. And of course they, they would allow us to hunt cats which was, it, it, you know, for somebody to kill a cat with a bow would be very unlikely. Um, so I was, when they, when they told us, congratulations, you can hunt cats. I was like, well, okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> I never thought I'd see one, but I, you know, Golly. of course day two or three, I, you know, I had that opportunity, thought about it later. Um, I ended up trying, my bow was back at my tent, like 20 yards away. So I tried to slip back and grab my bow. Yeah. And I should have, what I should have done was just rush to that cat. Tree it, right? Yep. I should have rushed it when it was so close and then ran and got my bow. But, you know, I'd never, that didn't, didn't cross my mind during that mm. time. Yeah, that's bummer, man. I'd really like to have, like to me, you did kill a deer. Yep. How many? Just one? Yeah, just got one deer. I couldn't. That's all you're allowed. Oh God, did not know that. Okay, so you got one deer now, so that's that's not going to sustain you. So you, how did you butcher it? How did you like space out the meat? How did you procure the meat? Like, what'd you do, man? Yeah. So when I when I killed that deer, it was uh, I don't remember what day it was, but it was warm, 
I mean, it probably had gotten up to 80 degrees that day. And so, you know, you're in an area that has an incredibly high grizzly density. It's warm, there's flies. Um, and so I, you know, I quartered it up, put all the meat in, um, like all the odds and ends, backstraps, uh, liver, all that stuff in the hide and bundled it up. Uh, didn't have a pack or anything. Right. So you're carrying all that stuff. I think I had about a two mile hike back to camp. And so I, I took all the meat and like leapfrogged it and just kind of leapfrogged it in, in, in stages all the way back to my camp, hung it up for that night. And then I think I hung it for like three days because I needed to build a smokehouse to cure the meat out. So I spent like three days building a smokehouse and then cut all the meat into little strips, little jerky strips, basically. And I, I, I smoked that entire deer. I kept the, uh, I kept the shanks whole and smoked them whole. Um, and one of those shanks I kept all the way until Thanksgiving day. And I cooked that shank on Thanksgiving day, no salt, no preservatives, no nothing, just smoked over an alder, alder fire for three days. It was freaking awesome. That's badass, man. No, you really like proved your metal. Like, did you, did you impress yourself at all along the way? Did you know your ability? Did you feel like you like kind of, what was your mindset? Just day by day. I mean, I don't know. You, you, you don't, you tr I, I tried to avoid anyway, trying to, like, I never thought about how much, how much is, uh, I didn't even keep track of the time. I didn't know how many days I was there. I didn't care. I, I, before I ever went in there, I made the commitment that I was not coming out voluntarily. Um, so the only two ways for me to come out of there was to either be the last one or for them to pull me out medically. I was in the headspace to, I was in the right frame of mind to do that and to push your body to that limit, you know, and you, they, they let you get pretty run down before they'll pull you out medically. Hmm. Um, I mean, there's been seasons in the past where guys have gotten very, very, very skinny. How was the recovery process uh, and transitioning back to real life after the season? Um, it was, it was interesting coming out of the woods cause you don't have any, you'd have no, they don't give you any information. They don't tell you what day it is. They don't, tell you what's going on in the world. You don't have any idea what's going on with your family when you're out there. And so, um, all of this was like COVID blew up while I was out there. I had no idea what was going on in the world. And so coming out, you know, you're getting all of this information. Um, and it was interesting getting it from the, from the Canadian perspective, you know, um, but they, as far as like nutrition and stuff like that, they have, your meals like catered to you, whatever your needs are. So they have a nutritionist there planning out all your meals and, and stuff like that. And so they keep you, it's not like they bring you out of the woods and then like kick you loose. You know, we had to stay, uh, I stayed at the lodge where they were doing all the production stuff for probably 10 more days after I came out and of the woods. And probably some post-production filming and yeah. all that jazz. Yeah. They did some interviews, um, and all that stuff. And then, uh, at the end of that, put me on an airplane back home 
It's time to interrupt this podcast and pay some bills. Give some shout outs to my partners. These are the cornerstone to the Elk Shape brand. Shout out to Matthews Incorporated shooting the phase 429, 33 in 2023. Really excited about the split limbs. We're talking the quietest, most vibration free bow on planet Earth. Shoot it at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics running the UHDs, running the Viper 3000 for Rangefinder. If you are in the market, EuroOptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. If you want some of that Vortex wear, including that Sunslayer hoodie, discount code ELKSHAPE takes 20% off. On X Hunt Elite membership, discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Access to all 50 states. Complimentary membership to Top Rut. The most precise draw odds out on the market. You also get Hunt reminder, never miss a draw deadline. And it's the most robust platform proven in the backcountry for accuracy. Numa Outdoors, that is the hunting clothing I wear in the backcountry. Discount code ELKSHAPE20 will take 20% off. Kufaro coming out with the new backpacks in 2023, the new Bino Harness. Check it out at kufaro.net. Their website has been updated. Best backpacks, best frames on planet Earth. MagView, discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Digiscoping made easy. Made in America, lifetime warranty. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code, 20% off. ELKSHAPE 2023. Enter that. Check out the ELKSHAPE packages links are in the show notes you can see the elk shape stack that i take year round as well as my september stack and including the mrs elk shape stack buck knives made in the usa they're my neighbor 20 minutes down the road since 1902 two different style of knives for the backcountry this year check out the pack light series there's four different offerings there if you want to save weight or check out the new Alpha Scout or the Alpha Hunter. Both will be in my kill kit in 2023. Crispy Hunting, Brickstall's Mountain GTX. That is my new favorite boot. Been testing it for the last six weeks, putting it through its paces. This is an awesome boot. It's got a flex rating of three, and it's very universal, well-rounded, all mountain, all types of hunting. Check it out. You can order online, and if it's not the right fit, you can send it back for the right size. Crispy is made in Italy. Stealth Cam, non-cellular and cell. They have a new cellular coming out actually i have my hands on it it's got on demand so if you want to get a picture anytime you want you can press a button they also have the regular 4ks which i'm a huge fan of leaving trail cameras out year round especially on elk wallows discount code elk shape 20 will take 20 percent off on non-cell and elk shape 10 will take 10 percent off cellular marsupial get the enclosed bino harness with magnets never have brush debris in your bino harness and check out the new hip quiver as well that's just out as well as their bow case rifle case i rock them all Baku e-bikes, discount code ELKSHAPE, $300 off. If you're in the market, use where legal, they are stealth mode. And always, Black Ovis, 10% off any purchase. Discount code ELKSHAPE, plus free shipping, and it's fast. Last but not least, we have Sheep Feet, Fatty, Alien Gear, Crossover Symmetry, Canvas Cutter, discount codes in the show notes. Back to the podcast. Being being in the woods for 74 days and then having a kind of a short transition to being then finding yourself in an international airport was pretty crazy. Cause you know, how crazy airports are. And, and, you know, I'd been in the woods and I had, I was like, had no schedule, had, didn't rush to do anything. You know, it's a very simple, very laid back type of a, you know, lifestyle. And then to be in an international airport like that, where there's just chaos, people running around everywhere. It was, that was a very, very strange juxtaposition. Um, but as far as like coming home, some people I I hear some people have difficulty with that. Um, for me, it was not it, it, we you know it was just like coming home from a long hunting trip. You know, I jumped right back into everything. Um, 
with a greater appreciation for family and everything else that you can tend to take for granted for certain because being out there that's one of the th- that's one of the great benefits of being out there is it takes away from you everything that you do take for for granted and it gives you a much greater appreciation for that that type of stuff um but uh no it wasn't there was no problems like transitioning back into my everyday life here because i'm used to that i'm used to going away for you know two weeks three weeks on a hunting trip and then coming back and you know just picking up everything yeah i know that life i I live that life too and what you said there about you realize that things you take for granted I mean, hunting does that for me, but I think obviously to what you did to a higher degree, because that's a long time by yourself and you are trying to survive straight up. Uh, Any motivation to win the money or was it always just about the experience? I never thought about the money at all. And, and I've said it before, I would have done it had there not been any money. I would have done it just for the challenge of seeing if I could do it because it's something that it's like the ultimate challenge, you know, for skills that I've tried to develop my whole life. You know, we were talking earlier, I've been in the woods doing this stuff since I was, you know, eight, 10 years old. Um, And so it's like, now you have this opportunity to actually put all those things to the test and figure out if you're as good as you think you are. Mm -hmm. So now let's fast forward, man. Like here we are present day. Take us through like a average day for you like how do you what's work quote unquote what's not work what are you looking forward to what's your primary objectives raising family like, just take us through it okay for so i mean it's hard to describe an average day because there aren't really any average days cuz you know i might be on any given day we might be in the back country backpacking hunting uh or just on a backpacking trip making content I might be here in the shop making a bow. I might be back in the woods doing some bushcraft and video or, you know, teaching people how to tie knots or something like that. Um, and so that's, that's my work. I go and, um, make videos about whatever I happen to be interested in that, that day. Um, and then I come back and, and edit it, uh, and then upload that to YouTube. Um, Liz does all the hard stuff. I mean, she keeps track of all the money, keeps track of the bills. She, um, you know, we have a, a Patreon site where people can sign up for a couple bucks and get like content that other people don't get. Uh, she keeps track of all of that stuff, does all the, fills all the orders, basically all the like stuff that makes the business run. I just do, you know, I make videos. You're the star, <laughs> man. Yeah. So Patreon, I've heard a lot of people doing that. That's essentially a paywall to get more exclusivity on some of the content. Yep, basically. Um, so the stuff that's on Patreon is like very in-depth, detailed bow building. Like I explain every little detail, every pop problem that you could run into when you're building a bow, and there's a lot of them. Um, and so that's that's the primary reason folks sign up for that. For, for my Patreon anyway, they're, they're super into bow building. That's really cool. And then obviously YouTube, monetizing YouTube, I mean, that does help, right? Like it's kind of a nice stream of income, Yeah. but it certainly would never pay all your bills. Like you've got to do other things. It, I mean, 
It can. It certainly sure. can. If you've got if you've got the subscriber base, um, I mean, there's people that make a lot of money on YouTube. I'm not to that level yet. Yeah, I mean, it's just not an audience for a guy who's kind of like you. You know, I mean, maybe there will be, and I hope. I certainly pray. I mean, I would love that, but um, you know. We don't make stuff for kids, so we don't have Mr. Beast, yeah. you know, 30 million views in a day type thing. Uh, Logan Paul, very controversial, doing stupid stuff. Like, that's not like you're adding a lot of value and education as yep. your content cornerstone. Um, so there's other things besides Patreon and YouTube. You work probably with some companies, I would yep. assume. Yep. What are some of the favorite companies you work with? Uh, so Kafaru, First Light, uh, Vortex, those guys, uh, Seek Outside, those guys have been with me for a long time since I think 2000, I did a film in 2015, um, where we did a backcountry mule deer hunt. And that was the first time that I ever really got sponsors, um, three rivers archery's in there. Um, I think that's all of them. So I'm probably leaving somebody. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, I get it. Um, but, uh, yeah, those guys, uh, you know, it's an endorsement type, type, uh, type deal. But the thing, like, especially, and First Light's a perfect example. Like, First Light just came on as a sponsor well, this last year. But I've been wearing First Light stuff for 10 years. Yeah. And so it's, like, I get, and I sure, I'm sure you get it too, I get daily, daily, I get a dozen people a day wanting me to pitch some product. And I just got one the other day, 4,000 or $5,000 to pitch some, um, it was like a survival food company that was wanting to pay me to integrate a 30 second ad into a video, five grand. I'm not going to do that because it doesn't fit with my videos. I don't know what these, I don't know. It may be crap. Like, I have no idea what this product is. Somebody's saying yes, because I am getting the similar amount of, like, emails asking for similar type things that you that are not vetted. And a lot of times, honestly, they don't have no relevancy to the kind of content I'm making. I've, got, I've gotten them for mattresses, <laughs> like all kinds of stuff. It, and so... Somebody's saying yes because they're like, oh yeah, turning and burning. And, and that's I'm not I'm not saying that I would never do that. Like if I had a product that I was familiar with that I liked, or that I had some use for, maybe I'll do it someday. I've never found the situation where I'd feel comfortable doing that. And so I'm turning down thousands of dollars a month because I don't want to do that. Um, you know, but you still get people like anytime you mention a company or whatever, or they see a, a sponsor logo on a video, you're like, oh, you sell out. And it's like, dude, if you had any idea what kind of money I turn down because I don't want to pitch products that I don't believe in or that I don't use or it has no relevancy to this video, you would probably reconsider what you're saying. So I don't know. The, the companies I work with are good companies. They're, they're, um, you know, there's stuff that I've been using for years. They're well-made. Um, so, yeah. Don't sell me. In fact, try to sell me on not doing the kind of work you do for a living. Like, what's all the stuff that maybe makes you pause and question what the hell are you even doing? <sighs> Besides comments like that, obviously. Oh, you did. I mean, <laughs> the comment section on YouTube uh, is like, 
a free for all, you know, it, it, anybody can post anything up there. And it's all, it's like, it's like that across social media. Um, most of my comments are really good. Every now and then you get somebody that's just like venting or being unreasonable or whatever. I just ignore those. Um, but as far as like, you know, you, you could take those things to heart, I guess, and like allow them, allow people to like run you down. Um, I just choose to ignore them and, you know, I, I picture them as just some sad person that needs this outlet in some way. Um, but no, most of my comments are good as far as like why not to do this. Um, it is a hustle. I mean, you got to stay on top of it. It's not like, um, if you can't slack off and still get a paycheck, you know, you have to, I have to continuously put out content, which is fine for me because I do the things that I want to do anyway. I'm just, I'm just documenting my life and putting it on YouTube, you know? Um, I, I honestly can't think of one reason why you would not want to do that. Uh, unless you're just, you like the idea of just being able to go to work do your thing and then leave it. Like I'm never not working. If I, you know, I just always, I'm always working, but I, but my work is my life. If that makes sense. It makes sense to me, obviously, because I'm in similar shoes as you. Um, what's your wife's perspective on you always working? Um, how do you balance that? So that's changed dramatically. So when we, um, when I was working for fish and game and doing the YouTube thing, especially in those last couple of years, right up until I left fish and game, it was, it was pretty hard on us because I would go to work, you know, for eight, 10 hours a day. And then I would come home and I would be on the computer for another three, four hours. And I was just not, I wasn't interacting. You know, she, you know, Koi, my oldest boy was a toddler at that time, or, you know, once, a, once it got on up till I quit, he was a little bit older, but like, um, it was very difficult on the marriage because I was not very good at managing my time. I had an idea in what, in my head, what I was trying to build and she couldn't see what I saw. But after I left fish and game, it got a lot better. I mean, it like, it was like, night and day because then I had all the time, you know, we were doing things together. And that's one of the good things about what I do is because we can do like, if we go on a hunting trip, like one of the things we do every year is we do, um, our bow hunting elk camp is we take the whole family. We go set up a big wall tent. We just live at elk camp until I kill something. And that might be the whole month. And we just live in the mountains and we do that together. Um, so it's been, it's been very good since I quit, but, but before I quit, it was, it was, it was tough there for a couple of years. Mm, I think you answered that really well. Yeah. So Clay, super pumped for you, man. Like you're a hardworking guy, but you're really modest. Like, I'm just gonna give you some observations, first impressions. Like you've set it up to be simple and you and I both know, sim be a simple man. Like that's, that's definitely the way to live. You're a passionate bow builder. Like legitimate 
next level bow building guru. Like this, you're the guy. <laughs> and it's incredible. This shop, what you do. Wow. So the Patreon might just be worth its while for those that are maybe having some interest. But start at the beginning. Go go check out his YouTube channel. Any particular videos that are some of your favorites? Um, well, it depends on, I mean, the category, I guess, uh, yeah, there's, there's bow building stuff and there's bushcraft stuff, but my favorite videos are the, you know, out either hiking or hunting with the kids, uh, the family type stuff. Um, one of my favorite videos is, uh, has nothing to do with hunting or bow building or anything. It was, uh, my oldest boy and I did a backpacking trip into one of the wilderness areas here in Idaho and, um, he, Koi struggles with letting big picture overwhelm him. Like if he wants to accomplish something, um, it's easy for him to get overwhelmed. And on that trip, like it was a hard trip, you know, it was his first big backpacking trip. Uh, we, we backpacked into a, an Alpine Lake, did some fishing and, and, and that type of thing. And, uh, on our way back out of there, you know, we came up and we were sitting on this bluff and we we're looking back across this, you know, misty valleys and, and ridges that we had climbed over. And I pointed and I said that way over there, that's where we just came from. And I looked and I asked him, um, he's probably 10 at the time. I asked him before, before you did that, would you have thought that you could have done that? And he, he, he said, no. And I, I looked back at him and I asked, how did you do that? And he, he put his head down between his knees and he thought for a minute and he looked back up and he said, one step at a time. That's, and I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm tearing up thinking about that moment. That, that's powerful. Um, so that's, I mean, that's one of my favorite videos. And another one is just like, uh, Finn, my youngest one. Um, he, uh, he ended up killing a pig with a self bow when he was seven, seven years old, spot and stalk on his own. Like I wasn't even there. We were, uh, we were down in South Florida again. We were hunting with, um, Ryan Gill, who's a, a big primitive guy down there. And I was, fil- I'd killed a pig the day before, so I didn't even have my bow. Um, it was me, Ryan, Finn, and then Vaston Hall, uh, whose land we were hunting on down there. We got into this group of pigs. I'm filming for Ryan, filming Ryan. So I turned my attention to like getting the shots on him. Finn runs up to me. I had a, I had one arrow for him. Had a broadhead on him on it. I didn't want him walking around with yeah. a like behind us with a broadhead. Hell no. So I like I hand him his arrow. He runs off. And I turn back my attention to, to Ryan. Like five minutes later, he comes running up to me and says, I shot one, I shot one. I, was, I kind of looked at him and was like, oh, okay. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. But I, I asked Vastin, who saw it happen. I was like, did he really shoot one? He said, yeah, I watched it run off with the arrow. And uh, so we got on this blood trail, tracked it for a little ways, and he'd killed like it was a big, it was, you know, it wasn't a huge pig, but it was probably 70 or 80 pounds with a 20 pound self bow, had one arrow. I was like, that's, that's pretty freaking Dude, awesome. That's, that's pretty legendary awesome. status. I know. Look out world. Finn's coming. Wow. That was Finn. Yep. Wow. Yeah. We just met him. 
So he's 10 now? Yeah. Yeah, and he's the hunter. Isn't it funny how it's kind of, you know, I always thought my son would be a hunter. I don't know if he's going to be, honestly. I I thought my daughter would love hunting maybe or what. No, she just wants to spend time with me on anything. But at age four, I'm a, how old are you? 42. I'm I'm turning 42 this year. Yeah, I want my kid to hunt, but I actually don't really care if he doesn't ever want to be a hunter then. I'm, I'm okay with that. And if you would have asked me that 10 years ago, I'd be like, uh, yeah, my kid's going to hunt. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. But really, you don't decide those things. Yeah. You show them as much cool stuff as you can. And I tip my hat to you, man. Like, kind of jealous that your kids get to spend a month at elk camp, living out of the woods, hearing your stories every day and helping mom out. And I mean, they're just gathering so much confidence yep. that's vetted to do anything they want. I mean, yeah. that's cool. You're yeah, doing right. And, and Finn will go, like, he'll actually go hunting with me. You know, some, Koi likes to, uh, he likes to hike, and there's a lot of geological activity where we're at. So they're always, like, picking up different rocks, looking for fossils, uh, geodes, and things like that, um, play in the creek. You know, they like to build boats and float them down the creek, stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, it's it's good. It's really nice to have the whole family there. Um, and you know how much of a grind elk season is it's like the days are long and you're you know you get back to camp and i gotta admit that's it's so nice to have liz there <laughs> to have dinner ready when i get back because i can eat and then go to bed get back up the next morning and do it that's again that's an advantage oh my god it is that's a, like a nutritional recovery advantage it is because when when you know we, we did elk camp um just the guys there for a long time and you'd get back you know, you get out of the woods back to camp and it might be nine thirty, maybe ten o'clock. Then you gotta cook dinner, eat. You know, you you're in bed by maybe ten thirty, eleven, and then you're getting up at four AM and you're doing that day after day. And I couldn't like I, I still even with Liz cooking, I can't keep the weight on. No. And I'm not, you know, right now I'm one hundred and sixty pounds. I'll lose seven, eight pounds at elk camp, you know, over the duration of the time I'm there. Um, but it's, it's tough. Mm, but it's the best. It's, it the mo- it's my favorite thing. And I'm excited that you're excited about taking your family on the journey. Uh, Clay Hayes website is clayhays.com. I wish somebody has clayhays.com. Whoever you are, let's buy that domain <laughs> back from them. They won't sell it to me. Okay. Um, it's twisted stave, uh, com. Uh, but it, I mean, if you just Google my name, it'll come up. Yep. And then so with all the other stuff, YouTube, Instagram, Instagram, Clay Hayes Hunter. Uh, I've been sucking at Instagram lately. I need to like start posting more. I go through spells. Do you? Like have- I'll, I'll, I'll post a bunch and then I'll go like a week without posting anything. I like, like the weeks right. without posting anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like um, how about direct messages on Instagram? So like I've always answered them all. And... I can't keep up at this point right now. Are you like, what's it, your what's your status on that? I again, I'll go through like there's a lot of times I don't even look at direct messages uh, because if I get a bunch of them, and so I don't know uh, if I don't respond to a message, don't think that it's because I don't like you or because I don't think yeah. what you have to say is important. But I just get a lot of messages and I can't respond to all of them. I'd spend all my time responding to messages. Yeah. It's a time suck is what it is. Yeah. It's, 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 it's worthwhile to a degree, but it's not, 
I ain't got no time for that. Yeah. Uh, I need to work on comedy on YouTube a little bit more. Like, I am very good at posting and ghosting there. Like, because I'm usually working on the next project after I've uploaded and scheduled it. Clay, I'm already on to the next thing, and I'm not yeah. even thinking about that. We filmed that video th- like four weeks ago, you know? I don't know if it does. I don't know if it, like, actually helps the algorithm or whatever. I have no idea how YouTube works. Like, because some videos you think are going to do really well, do just kind of okay. And then some that you're saying, eh, they do like, they blow up. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's all, I think it just has to do with you, with the uh, thumbnail. You just got to make an awesome thumbnail. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Well, we're going to work out. No, I, uh, there's videos that I've edited, poured my soul into and really got the greatest shots and told a good story and just spent way too much time on it. Doesn't do well. Yeah. And then there's videos that I like literally film because something happened that day and I just do a real quick half-assed job, throw it up there and it crushes. And then that's when I lose my mind. I'm like, I can't figure this out. Yeah. Because as creators, uh, like I appreciate high production value. I appreciate beautiful shots. YouTube doesn't give a damn about that stuff. (laughs) Amen. No, do you mess with YouTube shorts at all? I've done a few, but not, I don't, I haven't put much time into it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I need to, I don't know. I'm going to keep, like, my focus is the podcast because I got to know you today and I didn't have to look at my phone or nothing. I just, one-on-one with Clay Hayes. Like, that was cool. Like, that's a memory, life short. So that's why I'm keeping the podcast, not for any other reason than that. Um, Instagram, because I know how to do it pretty decent. Uh, and I, I just like the following there and, and the vibe. YouTube, because I like long-form media. I like making stuff. Mm-hmm. Not going to have a TikTok for now. Never, not going to probably do a TikTok, uh, whatever, not going to ever buy airtime TV show. Um, what other people are doing, like, those are my three focuses and kind of put a little gas on each fire and figure out how to get a real job. Yeah, it's to to go any, to, to extend myself any farther than I have already would be, I think the content would suffer, like the, the, the quality of the, con- the YouTube stuff would suffer. Um, I do actually have a, a TikTok, but I haven't put anything on there forever. Um, I got a, I got a, I got I started TikTok after talking with Donnie Dust uh, on a TV show that he was working on. I was uh, I was working as a consultant on that. And Don, Donnie, do you know who Donnie Dust is? No. So um, he's a he was on season six of Alone, but he's freaking crushing TikTok. He's got this thing where. Like his it, people ask him, can you make a whatever? Can you make a make something? He's like, yeah. And he just like whacks this uh, katana sword out of a stone. You know, he makes cool videos, but he was doing super good on it. He's got millions of followers on that thing. Yeah, no, TikTok's an easier platform to gain traction for sure. Um, I just, you look at the back end of it, it's a little sketchy for me. But anyways, there's another season of Alone. It might have been the year before you. Uh, the dude built the rock house. Yeah, it's uh, rolling. Yeah. That guy was a beast on that season, like killing the muskox, mm-hmm. kind of kind of <laughs> by his hands, technically. Um, and the fact that he still ran out of food. I mean, you kill the freaking muskox and you still, and you're fishing. I don't, where was his season filmed at? Uh, they were in the Northwest Territories. Yeah. I think Great yeah. Slave Lake. Have you maybe? guys connected at all? 
Uh-uh. No. Roland, I don't know much about Roland. He's just kind of uh, off doing his own thing. Yeah. Um, Jordan, Jonas, um, I've hung out with him quite a bit. He's a good dude um, and know him fairly well. Uh, he was six. He won season six. He ended up killing a moose. Yep. 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 Yeah, no, your season was wild. It, you guys got to go check it out. I binge them. I don't have TV, so like I have Netflix. So when they come on Netflix, it's like pounding it. You pretty much can count me out for the next. I'm gonna like not sleep that much week because my wife will be like, ha, one more episode. Yeah, <laughs> one more, and then we'll go to bed. Uh, and you killed it, dude. So I look forward to watching your stuff. Uh, you're going bear hunting here, so am I. So. Good luck. Hope you stroke a big one. If not, you're taking your kids, so it'll still be worthwhile. Um, thanks for letting us invade your space. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Had a um, good time. Guys, Clay Hayes, check them out. I got all the links in the video description. Hope you like the YouTube component of this as well. Remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Want to thank you guys for tuning into this podcast. Clay Hayes is a stud. I think it's pretty obvious if you listen to this one, man, it's... He's the real deal. He's a real one. And Clay, if you're listening, thank you for hosting us and showing us your world. I like his lifestyle, guys. He's a super simple guy, but he's got a narrow focus. He's very hardworking, and he's self-made, and I just respect the heck out of him. Check out some of his content. The links are in the video description, like I mentioned previously. And um, we appreciate your support. I know there's a lot of options out there on podcasts. It's growing. And so if you've been with us on day one or is this your first one ever, hey, I'm selling you hard work. And I'm trying to bring on guests or topics that make you think and make you want to work hard towards your goals and create a lifestyle for yourself that you're proud of and that brings you joy. Guys separation is in the preparation elk season's just around the corner every day is an opportunity to inch your way closer to being fully ready to be limitless in the mountains and to be prepared with a plan of attack so that you can eat elk meat 365 thanks for tuning into this podcast we'll catch you on the next one